young kids, this is Alan. And this is Brent. <laughs> Welcome to episode 31 of AEB Testing. Hello, everyone. Hey, Brent, you know why I made that old man voice? Yes, I do. Because I'm an old man. <laughs> you know what? I... I, don't, I don't feel a day over 50. Actually, take that back. I feel exactly a day over 50. Uh, it's no fun if you pick on yourself before I have a chance to. Preemptive, preemptive picking. Uh, because I had already planned to come in and announce that a big event had occurred that I am now. So two days ago, I was, you were only 8% older than me, and now you're 11. So as far as I'm concerned, I got younger. Thank you. So <laughs> is this a chapter out of How to Lie with Statistics? Uh, Which I is a very, think, good, very good book, by the way. It is a fantastic book, and I don't <clears throat> think it's in there. All right. Well, we'll add that to or it's how to lie with charts, or maybe it's just dumb stuff Brent says. But yes, yeah. uh, I turned fifty. I share a birthday with the infamous Ozzy Osbourne and someone else, who and came Holly in. Marie Combs yeah. from Charmed and Picket Fences and some other shows. Oh, she Good. she didn't wish me happy birthday. I, I was I, hoping uh, for a shout out, but nothing. I spent some time on on the History Channel's webpage on oh god a day in history. I know you had these <laughs> stupid things like oh Alan's been around longer than the heart transplant. <laughs> but I Ho- did. Hopefully you're around long enough for a brain transplant. Uh, I I did actually the the one on the Vietnam War. I did wonder. Do you no. actually have any memories of it? Yeah, yet? I was there. I was I was what they called the young no, young. So my dad. No. Uh, I don't no. even know if you know this. So my dad uh, went into the Vietnam War, uh, left-handed or right-handed, and came out left-handed. He got hit by uh, a mortar shell. <laughs> okay, that's a trip. This is a downer, <laughs> I know. But he got hit by a mortar shell, and he had half of his body paralyzed. Um, now it's a it's a great story. I grew up with this as a father. And one of the things my dad does, which has always been an inspiration for me, is he calls the rest of us two-handers. And ain't no two-hander going to be able to do something he can't. <laughs> um, my dad, uh, he, he got dealt a really crappy deck of cards and survived it. Cool. Now, this all happened, um, obviously, before I was born. But I do know his timeline. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Alex, or not Alex, that's my son. Um, Alan was uh, four or five during that time period. I wonder if he has any memories at all of, no. of Vietnam. No? The answer is no. All right, then. The answer is no. Shall we uh, do our topics? We got some some mailbag uh, and some other stuff to talk about. Should I just jump right into my rant? Go ahead. <clears throat> all right. <sighs> I'm going to offend someone, but wouldn't be the first time on A-B testing, right? No. So, is it someone that actually listens to us? No, I don't know. Probably. So, for full disclosure, I I get, I get the difference between checking and testing. Mm, I also get that ninety nine point nine percent of the software engineering world uses the encompassing verb verb testing gerund testing to describe things that are technically checks and when i looked and i went and looked this up and uh even the authors of checking versus testing say that uh testing encompasses checking 
checking is a part of testing. So it just irks me to no end. Don't ever do this one of the three or two of the three or three of the three. None, none of y'all, like when someone says, uh, I wrote some automated tests, don't freaking get on Twitter and go, don't you mean you wrote automated checks? It, I've seen these. No, they wrote automated tests. They happen to be checking something that's fine. I just this incessant, this incessant need to correct people's use of the word test is not helping your cause. It's not. It's kind of like saying, "Hey, Alan, I just got a new puppy," and you coming back with, "Don't you mean you got a German Shepherd?" Yeah, you're like, stop. Yeah, uh, it's it, worse than that. It's worse than that. Yeah. And then, and then it gets worse. Someone say somebody who doesn't even like me. I can handle it, um, and I'll and I'll flip it a little crap once in a while because uh, I get it. Um, but somebody who doesn't even know what they're talking about, they see just random person happens to mention the word testing when it could mean checking, and they get jumped all over, and then then they make the argument of going. Well, isn't this just semantics? And they go, words are important to communicate our ideas. Words. We have to use the right words. And it's like, give me a break, people. No, it's funny. You knew what they were talking about. It was totally clear to you what you were what they were talking about, but you insisted on changing it so that only one percent of the world would know what you were talking about anymore. I mean, ah stop it. Just stop being an f- idiot. I am so I am one of the people who will state words are important, and I probably have on multiple I pages. completely agree that words are important. But what is not important is a, a Nazi-style activist correction, an active spell checker. Uh, uh, yes, dude. Now no one's paying attention to the wisdom behind what you're saying, and they're just going, how do I get out of this meeting with you, douchebag? <laughs> Did you see my tweet yesterday? Um uh, maybe the day before must have been the day before. Um, but I read. I I every morning I load up Feedly and I read through all my blog posts. And I for some reason I subscribe to people that piss me off. And um, but often even people that piss me off sometimes say smart. Often say smart things. But anyway, I came across. I can't remember who wrote it. So sorry. Another article talking about automated testing and how we aren't really automated testing. You're automated checking and testing can't be automated because testing requires a human. Blah, blah, blah. Same argument. Um, and I tweeted, in the time I time it took me to read an article saying that testing can't be automated, I could have wrote some automated tests. <laughs> and most people got the irony of that, but I, I did have one person go, I did well, I that. think you're talking about checking. I said, I don't, I don't get what you're saying. <laughs> so please just don't be thick about it. Just if you're one of the three, yes. It's it's good to recognize that there is verification and investigation, and it's important that you have that discussion with people. But randomly correcting people is just freaking idiotic. So knock it off. Case closed. The it, it is it's my my part of the case is closed. I'm ready to move no, on. No, it is. I'm and I'm off this topic. But you just said something. And I didn't. So I saw your tweet, but I did, it, it didn't interest me enough to follow the conversation. But. Um, that that was the, almost the, almost hurtful. The 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 rabid uh, uh, wombat there. Um, Wombats. What was their definition of testing then? Um, 
what gets lost. And I went – it's funny. I went back to the what, source. No, why can't I automate testing? Because testing is a human activity that requires judgment and intuition. And that, that, that can't be automated? No. Of course it, it can. Look, <laughs> please, please don't make me go okay. off into this hole. I went back to the source and I verified that – and it's funny. When this thing first came out. MD, I, I, I said I said I always considered checking to be a uh, a subset of testing, and later they said the same thing, which I don't think they listened to me at all. But it makes sense; yep. I think it's being logical. Um, so it's not one versus the other. Checking is part of testing. There's a part of testing that is simple verification, Boolean verification. But the followers of the model seem to think it's a, a versus and they go to all ends to like, it's almost like it's an agenda. It's just stupid. There, there are much more important things to have semantic discussions about in agreeing that words are important, blah, 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 blah. It's a good thing. We only have three listeners because I'm glad that we don't have to deal with the, the problem of like having Polarized acolytes. You know, it's okay. If echo we, our words back to if, us. If and, we drop to two, it's cool. <laughs> I'm just like, man, I, w- I would feel so responsible if I had a bunch of friggin' thoughtless disciples following me around holding up this testing versus checking battle. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> from the same crowd that uh, – recognizes rightfully the power of critical thinking and how important critical thinking is for good testing, mm-hmm. investigation, and for, and for actually for any knowledge work in general um, to stay up on the soapbox. Uh, to not recognize it in this case, is, it's hypocritical. Completely agree. All right. So um, let's talk about something not from the soap. Actually, everything's from the soapbox, right? So we've been taught – Dred and I just had lunch. Oh, it was good. It was fantastic. Dim Typhoon plus plus. All right. Um, but we were talking over lunch about some of the challenges. Um, uh, Brent and I uh, – Brent has been on Agile teams. He's helped teams transfer to Agile, and he's back on the horse again, helping a team become – do adaptive software development, being able to react to change. And we were kind of talking about the challenges that happen moving from a predictive or any sort of even iterative uh, software process to an adaptive process where you're data-driven, you're uh, driven by the need for change versus uh, needs for stabilization periods, blah, 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 blah. And ulti- so, ultimately, it, it comes down to anytime there's an established system, it's really freaking hard to change to a new established system. True. Right. Um, so the challenge... Right. Uh, I don't know if you've done much research on this, but the do I look like I do research? No. Yeah. You're too old. Even if you did, you'd forget it the next day. Gotta be all kids. Uh, did you see me tweet? I got my um, uh, I, I application to apply for AARP in the mail. <laughs> Booyah! Discounts. <coughs> <laughs> Lunch is on Alan from here on out. Um, yeah, so it is – so I have a bunch of friends who are, are agile consultants, agile coaches. I myself am a, a coach. And we spent a lot of time 
talking about how do we help people do this transition because it is um, quite honestly almost all of these problems come down to people problems it's almost always cultural um, Jerry Weinberg may have a quote about that he does the exact quote actually um, so the the challenge that that so my particular team today there's there's a new challenge I've never faced um, I have have the whole team running on a single board, um, but which I'm very successful at getting. But in this particular case, uh, there's also uh, five separate managers running, and all of these team, all of these guys, um, they they don't have a business first mentality. They have a my business first mentality, and it is hard to get them to can you clarify what that means or, or actually an example because i think I, I think i know what you mean but I, I don't want to jump down the wrong path i'll give you an example um uh, one of my peers today and none of none of my team actually there none of them are any of the three um an example today is uh, so those who who follow kanban you know that there's this process called limiting whip Yep, and we limit whip, including what goes into the ready column. So we do a backlog grooming process every week, and we adjust this. But we have this thing called a swim lane or a rail that we call the interrupt rail. So if something new comes up and it's not it's not time uh, for the planning meeting, and you need to get somebody started on something, even though um, two days ago we just went through backlog grooming. It happens in, in our space. We're, uh, we're an analytics team, so we have to operate at the, the speed at which decisions need to be made, which is hourly at times. Um, but this interrupt rail's purpose in life is to limit how – to create a limit on how much our time can be interrupted versus allowing the plan to move forward. Well um, – he had like five things he wanted to put into the interrupt rail and he wanted to understand because he has all of this pressure from um, other folks to get this bug done, get this thing fixed, get this stuff done. And he's missing the old days where he could have a, he could just do bugs, um, allow bugs to get deferred, have a stabilization period in which he fixes it. And the thing that he also wanted was to increase the, the whip on the interrupt and be able to get his team. He's like, I have two projects and I have five people. So um, I need to get these guys moving forward. I, I have this huge urgency. Well, the thing is, is right now, the, that, that, the planning phase, its purpose in life is we have commitments. So I think, do you follow the semester planning? Are you in, if I said we're in the, we're about to end sulfur, does that mean anything to you? Nope. Okay. So most of CNE, and I, and, and I believe also most of ASG, do six-month planning cycles for, at a division level. That's, that ends in December. So we, there's still several team commitments that my boss has has made that we haven't accomplished. 
So what's happening, so I created a process so which we could um, resource share and get those goals accomplished. Right? One of my peers, he has uh, five open positions, but he only has one person in it right now. And he's where things that we've committed haven't gotten across the wire. Well, this peer I was talking to, he, he is more focused on what he has to deliver versus what the team has to deliver. This is what gotcha. I mean by the business priority versus my business. It's like 17 on the list. And we're back. I made Brent stop partway through because uh, my audio equipment was being mean. The signals are a lot better now. I'm not sure how the first half of this podcast is going to sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're good now. We have normal levels now. Uh, Brent was getting smaller and smaller and disappeared, and we tried a bunch of things, and I just plugged into a different USB port on my Lenovo laptop, and we're good to go now. Wow. All and right. Are you testing or checking your equipment? Okay. Um, I am really worried now that the first half of our podcast is going to sound like poo. Because now I have actual levels that make sense. I can I can always adjust them uh, later. But uh, you want to start over and just make this one a shorty? No, I don't want to start over. <laughs> we'll make it work. So I may just publish the second half. So when we last left off, Brent was babbling, talking about transitioning from predictive to adaptive, and take it away, Brent. Yeah, I'm not going to go. Uh, am I doing that all over again? No. Okay, God. Um, okay. Yeah, it's hard. All right. Next subject. <laughs> I think we've talked a lot about well, or, organizational make... changes. I'm not going to dive deep into that. But it's <sighs> tough for people to see – two things. there's two things in play here. Two, uh, one is that it's easy to go back to what you're comfortable with. Yep. And that's the hardest, one of the harder things, fighting inertia. You have to let people see the value. For me, when I see teams get to that stage where they can truly be just adaptive and it's, it's – it, it's fun. Oh, it's fantastic. I think, I think it's motivating because I go to the Dan Pink research on people are motivated by progress, by seeing progress. And you get to see so much of that and you don't, uh, uh, without a lot of the roadblocks that come with uh, but, debt. But negative motivations almost always overpower positive, right? And in this, in, in this particular example, any place where the hardest part for doing this transition for leaders – is to recognize that you will be happier, you will have a more productive team if you let go of command and control. If you let your team decide. They're better suited, they're better able, and the facilities that we put in place to allow you to prioritize or influence what they have to choose between are enough. Right. There's a Steve Denning quote that I'm sure I've mentioned to you 50 times, but uh, from his book, The Leader's Guide to Radical Management, uh, give people a framework they can work in and then get out of their way. Yeah. And I love that. I, I give them just enough, you know, one minute manager applies, swoop in and give them coaching when you, they need it, but get out of their way. Let people make decisions. They're actually better right than you think they are. It occurs to me. It occurs to me just now what exactly is going on. What's going on is there's a bunch of people who are in leader roles, but there aren't leaders. They're yeah. managers. I don't know if that insight helps me solve this problem. 
Brant, if there weren't hard problems for us to solve, we wouldn't be employed. I have plenty of other interesting problems to solve than polling people from 1998 into 2015. Yeah, <laughs> that is a challenge. We are in 2015. One of the right. things. One of the things. Um, for a few more weeks. So for a few more weeks, 2015, um, we're going to pull the team to a safe model uh, in March. Oh, that's right. You're safe certified. I am. I'm going to take them to safe, which is for a team our size. Safe really works well for 50 plus. Again, we're half that. It's overkill. But I'm going to test because I suspect that the safe model will be will strike a balance between how the managers want to use command and control and create a predictive environment. This will allow them to be predictive in three-month cycles. All so. right. All right. <clears throat> I haven't done this in a while, and uh, I don't know if I can do it in my second half of my century on this planet, but I'll try it. <laughs> That was actually better than you usually do it. Yeah. I was expecting the fact that we just came back from lunch and trying trying to fight lunch coma um, would have slowed you down, but it didn't. No. So, Alan, we have at least three, uh, two mailbag questions and one handy tip. Okay. I'll, I want to talk about the uh, the first question. Uh, Alan sent out to to the three, hey, guys, we're going to do two more. Any questions? And one of the questions that came back, why are you guys so great? And the answer is, there, is there an answer? Because um, I don't think we're particularly great. Uh, uh, I said in Twitter, we're not. Could there have been sarcasm there? There perhaps. Okay, next question. <laughs> we do we do take all questions and address them in our podcast. We don't always give insightful answers. In we fact, will we will we, answer. We we will answer <laughs> with something. So I went to private school when I was younger. Yeah, uh, um, Southern Baptist uh, religious school. And I remember my teacher. I remember so this. much is coming to light all of a sudden. <laughs> I remember Whoa. my teacher saying, "God answers all questions. He either answers yes, no, or not going to answer right now." And I'm like, uh, "Magic Eight Ball at least has eight answers." <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we pissed off two of the three. Let's go on. Um, hey, did you see the one? The one Twitter or the one tweet? hashtag? Yeah, tweet. Um, one, one of the seven of the three? Yeah, I thought that was cool. That was from uh, Tess Pappy? Yes. Who I met at Eurostar? One of the seven of the three. One of the seven of the three. <laughs> yeah. I uh, like him. So let's talk a little bit more about the – I don't think any team company outside of Microsoft uses this term, but the term often used at Microsoft is combined engineering. Yep. Meaning it's an, uh, a software team without a dedicated test team. So what is that? And, and I, I, did you watch? There was a talk at a local um, uh, QA SIG uh, recently with someone who pr- used to work at Microsoft. Yep. Um, Amy know, Campbell. Yeah. 
I knew Jamie. He works in office. And then I looked at his slides and I watched most of his talk. And I have some, I think there's some things we can touch on. But did you do either of those? I did both. Look at you. Yeah. Um, I would say. In, in First ever dual prepared A-B testing podcast. I'm so uncomfortable using the P word here. Podcast? Prepared. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there was the when I was going through it, um first I thought it was a challenge because there was massive glare on the monitor. Right. Yeah, I had to follow along on the slides outside. I couldn't I couldn't see the slides on the in the broadcast at all. I was hunting around the Quasig's website and I was halfway through the the recording before I finally found the slides and then I just went Oh, oh, sure. That's what he was talking about there. There was only one place where I thought I was going to disagree with Jamie. And then he came the very next slide. He started talking uh, about um, his view. And I'm like, yeah, that's very much aligned. Yeah. And it was really more of his experience on his team going through a move to combined engineering. It's very similar. Like, Not only were they moving to combined engineering, but they were moving away from predictive uh, development models towards yeah. adaptive, and and that it's important. And I want to. I said this before. I'll say it again. Is you don't. And one of the things I didn't like in his combined engineering slides is why move because it's trendy. And yeah, I didn't get the Taylor Swift metaphor in his slides. I, I, the point is, you don't do anything because other people are doing it because it looks fun because it's cool. You want to if you're going to make a change. Have it be for a reason. And I think it's the other way around. We want to be adapt more adaptive. And because of that, it makes sense for us to do com- uh, a unified engineering team because it lets us be adaptive in these ways. Right. Now, um, we, we just talked about that. Maybe I don't know if I actually got to a point on it. but Rarely. Um, Rarely. Why do we want to be adaptive? We want to be able to react to what customers want and need faster. Why? We didn't have to do that before. Why do we have to do that now? Because now, if, they, if they're not getting what they want from us, they have many other choices. They can, people are much more fickle in their choices of web services, web providers, apps, etc. If you don't give them what they want, you've lost them. Yeah. I, I can try out, pick, pick any popular thing right now. And I could try out free trials of that thing, 15 to 20 of them yeah. in a span of three hours. One of those guys are going to have the, 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 the recipe that I'm looking for. Yeah. The, you will lose – even sometimes even if there isn't a – if it's something that they don't absolutely need – like, if I need a word processor, I probably need a word processor. And if I don't like Word, used to be I could wait for the next version of Word. Now I have lots of other open source and, and freely available alternatives. But there may be something like, um, trying to think, maybe a game where they don't need it. And they might even be an alternative. But if you're not giving them value and reacting to what's working and what's not working with them quickly, they're going to stop using your game. Not for not for a competitor, not for another product. People could stop using what you're making just because it doesn't give them enough value or pleasure or fun or whatever. Yeah, some games have competitors, like we talked about League of Legends yeah, last sure. time. Um, some games don't, but it's the second. But, the, but sec- the point is, in the world today, with apps and and the world living on the web, uh, you 
have to be adaptive to make software today. Uh, it is this might be too harsh to say, but the world in general today has ADHD. Yeah, they're fickle. And if you don't keep them engaged, they're, they're not going to come back. And again, and we shouldn't say the world because there's telecom and military software that uh, doesn't need to be adaptive. Telecom? If pe- I don't know about telecom, but I'll, I'll go with the military one. Okay, fine. That one. I, I think if, if the FCC lifted limitations, what made it easy to pe- for people to switch from Comcast to Xfinity to Frontier. Wait, isn't to- Comcast Xfinity the same thing? It is, yes. Yeah. So maybe not those two. Yeah. But um, if, we, if it was easy to switch back and forth, people would. Yeah, one thing, um, getting back to Jamie's thing uh, and combined engineering in general – yeah, so the, so uh, he via- mailbag item, to be clear, the mailbag item was around, hey, what is the efficacy of combined engineering? And to me, the biggest one, I'll get back to Jamie's thing in a second. Yeah. Um, to me, the biggest thing is what I call the, um, the it's, oh, I think I've acted this up before, but there's, there's the ping pong game. The ping pong game of here's my code, here's a bug, here's the fix, here's another bug. Here's some more code. Here's two more bugs. That back and forth and back and forth, very inefficient. And I'll say it in, in a different light, right? The world has ADHD. Therefore, we have to adapt to keep the world engaged. Therefore, calendar time, calendar time, not effort time, calendar time is one of our single most competitive assets. Things that waste calendar time, such as bug ping pong, such as stabilization, throwing over the wall, such as stabilization, by particularly in the world when there's a whole massive community of people who have successfully shifted and have learned how to produce better software. Um, in that world, combined engineering is a necessity. I think so, and although I, I also hate the word, I, I hate, yeah. I've always been fine with it. But in, in, once you introduced me to unified engineering, I like that better. Yeah, glad I have an influence on you. Um, in well, terms of, uh, well, go back to Jamie's. Oh, was that one thing I did? One kind of orange flag, yellow flag. Uh, he was talking about their move and some of the. Testers move to development roles. Some move to data roles. Data analysts, 50% move to dev roles. Yeah. And it, he didn't say this directly, but I was worried that in that transition, uh, that they lost. One thing I think is critical in unified engineering is that although the, the specific roles may go away, those the activities still need to happen, and I was worried that he made it sound like all the people that all the testing expertise was being forgotten. And I think it's important when you do unified engineering for that efficacy to work. Uh, and I said this before; you've heard me say it a million times: is that you don't build a team where everybody does the exact same thing. Everybody owns, you know, quality and code soup to nuts. Yeah. Some people are going to be better at some parts, and. You want to optimize for the team you have. 
to some degree. And and so your orange flag kind of uh, backs into my orange flag. Because um, one of the things he talked about, like his first slide, it was towards the end of his deck, and he's, I think it was titled, Specialists Are Great. And I cringed. I was just like, oh. But the next slide he was talking about, but specialists need to learn. So he... he 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 delivered the he, same he, he was dancing of, around specializing generalists and, and generalizing specialists. Yeah. He, like he he took it from a different angle, but it um, that's what he was saying. The because the the problem with specialists is they're a bottleneck. They can only Absolutely. do what they can only do. Now, if 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 they're in a business where um, what they can only do is what's really valued, then fine, it, it, it makes sense. But the problem is, is when you get into a place where what they can really do is not what the business needs from them, then you end up, much like what I was saying before, the problem on my current team, you end up focusing on the local optimization. And it's not, it's not what's valuable. It's not how you bring out the maximum value out of the team yeah. in a world where you have to aggressively compete for people's attention. I like that you brought up bottlenecks in general because when I think I go back like five minutes of our conversation going back to uh, um, figure out what you want to do first and then figure out um, why you know figure out what you have to do to get there. Yep. Don't, don't start just by doing something. Um, you can even go back farther and you know if the goal the goal is not never should be we want to ship every day. That That can be something you do. The goal should be we want to get we want to get frequent value to our customers. Yes. So, when, so in order to do that, we're going to give them a build every day, a new build every day that has higher quality and more value. So every day, every day better. What is the most, I'm trying to reword, what is the most value we can deliver every day? Yeah. And, and maybe do that. So then you think, well, what are the bottlenecks that, that stop us from getting there? Well, we can't. We can't do a stabilization period. How do we get away from that? We'll fix bugs. We find. There's a bunch of things you can do. What, and, and don't optimize them all. Figure out what's the biggest bottleneck. Optimize that. You know, figure out how to get rid of that. And it could be the specialist. Well, we can't, do, we can't ship until our performance specialist uh, gives it his once-over, and that takes two hours. Um, well, how can we well, spread that out? what does he do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Well, maybe we can spread that out. But right? there's a huge number of things that have to happen or that happen, figure out, and maybe that's fine until the day he's sick. So there's probably a better solution there. But I really like the idea of just, let's figure out what's the biggest bottleneck, address that, then go on to the next one. You don't need to do a bunch of stuff at once. Figure out what you're trying to do, figure out what's the biggest detriment for making, letting you do that, fix that, and then reevaluate. It, it's, it occurs to me, think, thinking about what I, what I just said, where the single most precious thing on any team no matter how big or small you are is calendar time yeah absolutely it's it, it's not effort calendar time and what you're really trying to do is maximize the equation roi per calendar time yeah um multiple ways of doing that but um bottlenecks people who you know single points of failure all of these things uh, slow you down. That I have, I have one guy. So I used to be the scrum master of my team. I recently hired a guy to my team that um, he, he followed me from my last team, and he took over while I was there. And I've said, you know what? I want you to do this, and I want you to fight broken window theory, 
mm-hmm. and I want you to stick to the rules and be ever persistent. My job is going to be to spend less time than I had been, but to make sure that you're sticking to the rules. And one of the things he just realized, it's Friday, and that one of, the, one of the rules he has to do is the work always has to move forward. And so he noticed one of the rails we have on our board is out of office, and it's that time of the year where people yep. start disappearing. He's like, okay, there's, there's this big uh, machine learning conference for two days here in Washington that half of my team is going to. He's like, okay, just a reminder. All the, the work still has to go, even though move forward, even though you're gone. So either you guys got to complete it or hand it off by end of day today. Why would he take that approach? Certainly, the work could wait two days, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, was because no, it can't. Calendar time is the single most precious asset. Right. The work and has to move forward. I truly believe in one of the 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 mantras I've done on this team is you know we we release to our our our, our production server only goes to some internal people but we go through a nice promotion process to get there and it's like better better quality more value every week eventually that'll be every day but it's incremental if it's a little better every week or every day just a little tiny bit over the course of weeks and months and a year it ends up getting hugely better so i I like the idea of always forward even because calendar time doesn't stop yeah i get it i like it i will say so specifically to, to the question, like the efficacy of combined engineering, much like Alan's favorite answer is it depends. If you recognize and view it and implement the change strategy as if the change to combined engineering is a system change, mm-hmm. then it will work and it's fantastic. If you do it as... Hey, all, all combined engineering means is dev and tests are working together, so we'll just incorporate tests into the dev team, and that's all you view the change is. It's a living nightmare. Yeah, there's lots of ways to screw it up, right? Oh, it's very easy to screw. You could it up. say, um, I'm, I, I could do a whole, we could do a whole podcast thinking of dumb ways to do it. So we could say, I have a team of ten people on a combined engineering team, and every week, um, half of those people will be the testers, and there we'll, oh, we'll do a two week sprint and maybe oh i know two weeks uh, i say half could be testers that's one way another way was we do a two week sprint and we'll develop features for the first half and then test them in the second half and then we'll fix the bugs in the third half i don't know i have to think through these bad ideas don't do those actually the first one i was thinking through so if you did this, you had 10 people on the team right and you find some way like hey the last character of your name Mod two. If you're odd, if you're if you're a zero or a one, you'll rotate back and forth. I'm like that actually could work. Yeah, if there was some careful rotation. Careful. Yeah. If there were test activities and you wanted to, yeah, it, right. But yeah, no. The 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 typical the typical strategy that is happening is big changes like this. People are are trying to minimize change. Instead of trying to maximize the goal, then minimize the change that achieves the goal. The, what, what happens with these changes, where it can go arise when you think that the change is the goal. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying before. Don't just focus on 
what the change is. Focus on what you're doing. You're doing these things for a reason. And it's lost a lot of times in these changes. Oh, we're being agile. Why? I don't know. We're, yeah. we're doing combined engineering. Why? Because it's trendy. No, you're doing it for a reason. Yeah. And if you don't and, know what the reason is, And the team is, has stop. to know what that reason is because otherwise they, they, you're never going to get them bought in. Right. And, and um, you even still may not because people – and I think I've brought this up on the podcast before. People uh, – there was a study done years ago. People are more afraid of change than death. <laughs> right? It, yeah. it was change, death, and public speaking. Right. Um, you have to push change forward, but you have to acknowledge that there's a fear that there will be resistance, and you have to sort of yeah, and that's a that's a leader, the that, that's that's the leadership part of it. There's tactical think parts of this which you talked about, but there's that leadership part of making sure there's a path that works for everyone. Yeah, and and uh, we've talked about the last podcast as well. Um. I do. I stand by this. I do think uh, natural-born system thinkers are rare. Perhaps. I am a developer. Why do I have to worry about training this tester? I want to just be writing code. You know what? Uh, yeah. I get it. I get it. Hey, let's... Give, um, give me back two of your ladder levels, and you can do that. <laughs> fine. Are they called... They're not really called ladder levels anymore. I don't know what the hell. I think called. you're. Old. I think you're older than I am. I think your birth certificate is wrong. <laughs> uh, let's do Vernon's tip and get out of here. What was Vernon's tip? Oh, so uh, apparently you didn't see it. I did. I did. I'm just giving you a bad time. <laughs> so uh, the the deal is that, and it's too so late now, now. At the end of the podcast, the the, the well, tip like, of the day is when you start listening to this podcast, keep the volume on low. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's a little, little loud, but um. Maybe, I don't know if you can hear that. We have fire engines outside, um, and they're loud because we're on the 20th floor with double-pane windows, and we can hear them. Yeah. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm 50-year-old Alan. And I am not. I am 11% younger Brent. See you later. <laughs> Bye, guys.